that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Hey there, Paisani. Welcome back to another episode of the Italian-American Podcast. I'm John Viola with my partner in crime, the Italian-American Wikipedia, Mr. Patrick O'Boyle. It's a beautiful spring day, and we are on a week-long recording session here. We've gotten a couple episodes done as I prepare to head over to Italy. I'm going to go for a family wedding in the next couple of weeks. But between today and yesterday, Pat, we have been talking a lot about the world of sports, and it's been kind of on my mind because you know it's may and baseball season is in full swing even though my yankees aren't particularly showing up and uh you know the nba playoffs the nhl playoffs and the panthers have been such a huge part of my consciousness the past couple of days and weeks and uh yesterday we did an episode on the scudetto success of ssc napoli and i don't know if this will come out before it or that'll come out before it or whatever it is but we've been talking a lot about sports and it led me to think pat do you have a spectator sport that you kind of have followed over the I don't think of you as particularly uh No. No, it's not it's not your thing. Can I quote my grandmother once? Yeah. My grandmother one time people were I don't know what it was a uh, baseball maybe it was the World Series or like Super Bowl Sunday something like that. There was something going on and my grandmother said to me she goes, "Why are they so obsessed with watching these people? They're not going to put money in their pocket. <laughs> Meaning you watching them makes them rich and you don't get anything out of it." Is that how you feel? No, I just thought that was profound. <laughs> so, I just thought it was an interesting little tidbit. It's a funny you say that because today, this morning, uh, for those who are National Hockey League fans, the Arizona Coyotes franchise, which relocated, gosh, 20-some-odd years ago from Winnipeg, uh, and it's a big debate in hockey between Canadian teams and Sunbelt teams, they had a referendum this morning in Tempe, Arizona, that rejected the team's plan to build like a $2 billion entertainment complex and stadium. And they're kind of in limbo. And it brings the question of kind of how we attach to sports, right? Because I think to my grandfather, he's 87, grew up in Brooklyn and Queens, stopped watching baseball after the Dodgers left in 1957 and did not take in a game until 2001 when I was able to take him to his first baseball game in 50 years, whatever it was when Brooklyn got its first minor league team. And you think about how much we put in and invest in sports. You know, we had a conversation yesterday with the the fan club of uh, SSC Napoli, and they were talking about the success that they've had this year and how it, it sort of felt like a validation for the whole city. No matter if it was just soccer, it was all about so many bigger things. And I think sports does have that impact. I think a uniform, a brand, uh, it doesn't even matter so much the players on the field or the ice or the court. I think it is something that we collectivize around, you know? I mean, it makes a lot of people happy. And, I, you know, it's good for them. We like to, like to see them happy. Have you been to – I mean, I know we've gone to a Panthers game together. I go to sporting events if I'm invited for a particular reason. Yeah. So if you have tickets to something and there's people somewhere that are dying for those tickets, I'm not the guy to bring because I'm taking the ticket away from somebody who actually wants to be there. If it's something, you know, when we've gone to Panthers events for you, when there's a social aspect involved with it, you know, and I'm invited, I'll happily go. Or, you know, people's kids are involved in sports and stuff like that. You know, you want to support the kids and stuff like that. But that that's kind of the, the parameters. Why does anybody care about this? Do well, anybody cares why I go to sports? I mean, no, wanna... The reason I ask is because I think the idea of sports as an event is also something that's really 
unique today in a time when it's harder and harder and harder to get people to collect around something. You know, like I was at a conference for the Sports Business Journal, and it probably is still the case now. This is pre-COVID. Of all the live television that's still being watched, the top 10 events, I think like eight or nine of them are always sporting events, obviously the Super Bowl being the biggest. So I think it's just I think it's something that still has a hold on us in a world where things are losing their hold on us. Does that make sense? I think that um, sporting events like the Olympics and even those rules are kind of being played with now where you have to be from a certain place, right? Like the Jamaican bobsled team type mentality. It's easy to root for an underdog in those circumstances for me personally because it's kind of an out, uh, a group of people that, you know, maybe the, the population of it's small or something like the Jamaican bobsled team where they're in the tropics and then they pull off this great victory. When you buy players, and I don't mean that in a, in a negative sense, but to me, those teams are mercenary in the sense that they recruit people to make winning teams, right? So there, to me, the talent isn't so much of the actual players as it is of the people who assemble those teams. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. I, I, I can totally understand what you say about the, you know, the, the Olympics or the World Cup, that you get these underdog stories about, you know, the, the little nation that could or the. Oh, like schools, you know, like St. Yeah. Peter's College last year in New Jersey. Now St. Peter's University went oh, yeah, very right. far with basketball and they were the little school that could. So things like that. I find more appealing. It's interesting that you say that because I think it speaks right to the heart of what our conversation today is really about, which is the idea that you sort of get the, I don't want to say underdog necessarily, but the unique circumstances behind something like, uh, let's say, the Jamaican bobsled team, the kind of this isn't supposed to be here uh, aspect. And you know, we're seeing it now in the NHL Stanley Cup. You know, the last teams left are all in Sunbelt cities. We've got us in the Miami metro area. You've got the Las Vegas Golden Knights, a relatively new team out of Vegas. And half the hockey world is having a conniption over the idea that, you know, these Sunbelt teams uh, are all that's left for fans to watch. But the truth is, like, it's like almost seeing like a plant grow out of the crack in a sidewalk. Like this isn't supposed to be here, but it is. And it's it's thriving. And uh, from this little seed comes uh, a plant. And I think. Today's story and today's topic is really quite a bit like that because, you know, talk about event driven sports. Uh, obviously, we're in the midst of playoffs and the baseball season and uh, all this excitement. But uh, football has been dormant since winter. And uh, those who are hungry for the game, particularly Italian American fans in our audience, might not be aware that they actually have a, a really nice option that they could turn to which is American football being played in Italy. And for the first time in the history of that unique expression of uh, gridiron football, as it's uh, as referred to, you have the Super Bowl of that league coming to the United States and coming not just to the United States, but to Toledo, Ohio, and the birthplace of football or American-style football, which obviously gets <laughs> confusing when you're talking about Italy. Are we going? Well, I hope so. I really do hope so. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something I'm working on planning for. And I've driven by Toledo. Have you really? Yeah, going to Detroit. I've driven past Toledo. I would like to, you know, my love for Ohio. You do love Ohio. Yeah, they're nice people. Uh, yeah. I don't know that part of Ohio. There are many different Ohios. Yeah. So that I would be interested in. I would tag along to, and you know, we have friends there. Yeah. And yeah. You know, you're selling me on it. <laughs> I know. I think it'd be a lot of fun. And actually, we have an event 
the day before in Chicago, so it kind of worked out do? quite nicely. Yeah, well, it's on the it's an in development event right now from the IAFL groups, the Avanti Club. Is I guarantee on. you'll put it right when I want to go on vacation. Guarantee. <laughs> so I'll, I, I... I'll put I'll I'll put your weight in gold <laughs> immediately, and you and Stephanie. Well, you know, and you know, you could fly in and fly out and fly back and fly That's forth. Right. Fly That's back to vacation. That's my welcome one. It would be, but you would get to see if we did get to make it out, which I hope we do. You would get to see a, a mutual old friend, and uh... yeah, I love to go. It's just the timing. Yeah, I mean, I'll yeah. wind up going, and you know, and I think having a great time. It's going to be really interesting to see the Italian expression of this American game at its Super Bowl level. And isn't that where Klinger and Mash was from Toledo? Who? Do you remember Klinger and Mash, the TV no, show? I never watched Mash. See, I'm dating myself with this. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, but I, people no, I know what you're talking about, though, because I think he would wear the hat of the yeah, yeah, he, Toledo Mudheads. It's all the politically controversial stuff. Yeah. Back then it was a joke. Now it's big, serious politics. But he was from Toledo. Yeah. Is there a Klinger museum? <laughs> you know, I love to go to local... I went to the Bay of... That was my big thing for my 40th birthday. We went to the Bay of Pigs Museum in Miami. I'll never forget that because we landed after you. That was like one of the happiest days of my life. This yeah. is uh, another another uh, symptom of my mental illnesses. <laughs> we landed after I text your brother. You want to go on your 40th birthday? Let's go to the brand new Bay of Pigs Museum. And you met survivors of the Bay of Pigs, right? Yeah, I right? did. That yeah, was like one lunch of the best days. Yeah, there were a bunch of old guys. Um, I think someone's going to correct me. I think the museum was open like a week. Like two weeks. It was like very, very new. Yeah. And there was a lot of Bay of Pig, the guys who were teenagers in the, the actual Bay of Pigs invasion who were, you know, I wouldn't say they were old men, but they were they were getting on in years. Um, Yeah, I got to meet them. So am I going to have a similar? What's my museum going to be in Toledo? I'm going to have to ask Lou when we get him on. That would be a good question. What are the I, I feel like Toledo has something that I, I've wanted to see and I can't put my finger on it, but it is worth uh, exploring. Would it be snobby to say Toledo? <laughs> like in Naples. Like Lima, Ohio, like to say Lima. Because <laughs> Ohio has a lot of cities that are mispronounced. Wait a minute. Ohio pronounces it Lima? Lima? I believe so. Wow, that you just blew my mind. There's a Miami, Ohio, right? They have a lot of sure names is, yeah. and places that are in other places. Yeah, they sure do. <laughs> Ohio, the great the great Buckeye State of Ohio. Well, let's welcome on our guest because I, I would love to hear a little bit more about the site of this uh, amazing and unprecedented Italian Super Bowl in America. First of all, Lou Tosi is a dear friend of mine and Pat's, a gentleman who has been a super Italian-American that I have gotten to know over the years during my time at NEAF. He was a board member, and we just hit it off. We traveled Italy a lot together, and uh, it's great to get to have Lou here on the show. And Lou is bringing with him Nick Eide, who is really the American heart behind this entire project to bring Italian football to the United States for this amazing Super Bowl and maybe, uh, God willing, even in the future. So Lou and Nick, welcome to the podcast. Really happy to have you guys. Great to be here, John. Yeah, appreciate the time. Thanks, John. I love your guys' conversations. If you come out, I'll show you some great museums, kinds you really like. I love the story. Lou, could you tell the story when you had Gerard LaRocca and the New York NIAF crowd came out to Ohio? Oh, it was just Gerard. So, uh, you know, NIAF is basically an East Coast thing. All the guys think Ohio is basically, you know, west of Winnipeg, Canada. Don't know anything <laughs> about us. And, you know, Gerard always gave me crap. Like, oh, you're from Ohio, et cetera, et cetera. So I said to him one day, because he's a Jersey guy, I said, I said, you have, he's talking about the NFL. I said, you haven't been to a real football game. You haven't been to an Ohio State game. And I said, Rutgers is coming to town. I'll take you to the Rutgers game. So Gerard's a great sport. 
and he flew in and I managed, I don't know how I did it. I got us tickets in the president's box <clears throat> and uh, we took him to the game and he was just hundred thousand people, crazy crowd. He said the president's box at Ohio State was as good as anything he's been into Giants and all that. He just had a blast. And we finished the day. Uh, I brought him to my brother's house for dinner instead of a restaurant. You got a guy from New York. What kind of a restaurant are you going to take him to, right? He's already seen it. <laughs> so we had some raviolis that were made by this Italian restaurant called Moretti's. And these things are outstanding. And Gerard, his mind was blown away. He's told everybody he knows that the best raviolis he's ever had were from Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> so that's got to be on our list next. Is Columbus? We, I mean, if somebody's had the best ravioli they ever had, I'm going there. And they're all, you know, handmade. But that was the Gerard story. Yeah. You know, Ohio is a great sports state. You've got Cincinnati, Cleveland, Columbus. You've got Toledo. All of these different places. But it's also the birthplace of football, right? I mean, what's uh, What's football mean to Ohio? Oh, it's it's bigger. You know, you grow up. By the time you're three, you're either playing in the backyard with your buddies or your you got your team. Usually it's the Ohio State Buckeyes or high school. Friday nights, people go to the games. It's just part of the culture. But, you know, people could claim where it started. But basically football kind of grew out of that working class coal miner steel mill set of families. And they were kind of tough kids. I don't mean tough in a bad sense, but physical. And they would just play some football. And it, it was real. There's no, no mistake that the Football Hall of Fame is in Canton, Ohio. And so if you were to take Canton, Ohio, and draw a circle around it, maybe 100 miles either way into Pennsylvania and West Virginia, that's kind of the heart of where the sport was born. And um, the reason I got attracted to this is, John, just what you and Patrick were talking about, how... It's an unexpected thing, you know, like hockey in Florida, American football in Italy, right? No, no one would think it. And it's the other thing I think Patrick was talking about that makes this really interesting to me. Everybody's got a different view. But the guys on the team, there, I think there are three or four Americans. The rest are Italian guys. The, the Italian guys don't, basically don't get paid. And they're playing for fun. But they're intense about it. Nick's introduced me to some of them. They are so excited for the chance to play in the United States. They have regular jobs. So it's a game that you wouldn't expect. It's played pretty well, and it's a lot of fun. And this was Nick's idea. Nick played football over there five years, got to know a lot of guys, loved the sport, and he had the idea of bringing the game here. And I, I met Nick. He's a client of our law firm. And I said, well, let me help you with it. You know, So I introduced him to some guys like you and the guys at NEAF. We met with the U.S. consulate in Florence. We have the Italian consulate in Detroit deeply involved. So it's going to be a great weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. We kind of laugh about it. This is really going to happen. You know, the contract signed, the airplane tickets were bought. We rented the stadium. It's being played in a very nice stadium, University of Toledo, Glasgow, beautiful building. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And Nick, you and Lou hooked up professionally, but you have been a passionate advocate for the game in Italy, as Lou mentioned, played there five years. Why don't you tell us about your experience playing there and uh, a little bit about the history of American football in Italy? Because it's, I don't think, something that's on many people's mental radars. Even baseball, I think, has a little bit more profile in Italy. People are a bit more aware of the history after the war and whatnot. But football comes, I think, as a surprise. But they've been playing for a good long time there and uh, had some very successful teams, right? Yeah, and I think the, the first thing I want to kind of start with when you talk about the history of it, and, and thanks, obviously, both uh, John Patrick for having me on. But I want – there are two things behind both your left shoulder, John, and Lou's left shoulder is really what I would call the history of this. I don't know if the audience can see this, but you've got a Franco's Italian Army helmet which then ties to what's behind Lou's left shoulder, which is coincidentally is the spaghetti bowl. So I'm gonna take you back to January 1st, 1945. This was called the spaghetti bowl football game played in Florence's main stadium, which is still the main stadium for soccer in Italy. And it was a game that was organized by the army and the air force and was played about 30 kilometers away from the battlefront. And why it's significant to what's behind your left shoulder, John, is because uh, Franco Harris, for folks that don't know, uh, John has a, a helmet from that says Franco's Italian Army behind it, which is tied to Franco Harris, the star Hall of Fame running back from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Franco's father, and I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but was a, a soldier for the Army, met his wife, was a military uh, bride in Italy. And the two of them got married and I joke and it's funny that this is behind both your left shoulders the both of them could have been at that January 1st 1945 game which takes us all back to this history of you know World War II the Jeep which was made in Toledo made in Ohio the liberation of Europe and how football was kind of this sport that grew out of World War II and then eventually led to the formation of the leagues in Italy and, and the rest of Europe and you know, I was fortunate enough uh, to kind of get into my personal history. I was fortunate enough to play in the Italian Football League. I played five seasons in Italy, two in Austria, had an amazing time in Italy, uh, met my wife, uh, an Italian woman there in Italy, uh, brought her back to the States. We live now in Toledo. Uh, the first language for my children is Italian. So it's led to just a beautiful experience. I'm not Italian, even though I have now I have double, dual citizenship, but to learn more about Italian culture and about this game that I grew up loving and then all the ties it has to Toledo, to Ohio, where the game was born has been special. I played for five teams. I played for Rome and Lazio, which are traditional rivals. I played for Civita Nova Marche, Bolzano, and Reggio Emilia. So I got a chance to see many of these wonderful regions uh, in Italy. And just the more time I spent there, the more I loved my time there, the more I loved the game, the more appreciation I had for football. Because as Lou said, 
you know, I have the teammates that want, were pilots for Alitalia, were surgeons, they were, you know, common laborers, they're, you know, doctors, they're, you know, any engineers. I had a lot of architects that were just, would design some of the most unique, you know, things you could imagine. And so, um, tell them about how you got recruited to Rome. No, I mean, that, yeah, so that's, that's a, great a story. that's a fun story. Um, you know, I, this will tell you the difference between the two approaches to really, you can apply it to any sport, soccer, football, anything. But I played my first season for a team in Austria and the Austrian mentality was, okay, you know, this is what time practices, this is what time meals are, this is what time, and this is all in, through the negotiations because I'm negotiating my contract. And they explain all this stuff. They're not talking about any experience or, or what have you. It's like, this is where you need to be at this time. This is what you're paid. This is what we expect. This is blah, blah, blah. And then I get the, uh, I start getting emails the next year because they had seen my film from Austria from the manager of this team in Rome. And the first three emails have nothing to do with football. He's like, you know, I, we saw your film. We really like you. Rome is this enchanted city. It's this magical place. You'll have the most wonderful time of your life. It'll change your life and blah. And they get all this sort of fantastic language about Rome. And I'm a 22-year-old kid. And I'm going, okay, uh, I want to play football. And that's what I want to focus on. But as many of us know, been to Italy, there's so much more to it. And that guy could not have been more right. It was a summer that changed my life and brought me back and brought me back. And it was just something that resonated with me and why I wanted to stay and continue to be a part of seeing this league grow. Because, you know, getting back to the history of, of the league and kind of where it sits today, we, these guys work very hard to play this sport for passion. It's much like when the American Football League and the National Football League were were in its infancy and guys like Otto Graham and others, they played the game because they loved it. They didn't make much money. We assume the guys like Unitas and Deacon Jones and others finished their careers as multimillionaires. They weren't. Many of them, you know, had financial hardships. And these guys that are doing this in Italy that are coming to be a part of this American dream, if you will, to play the game here, they're not. They're working day jobs so they can play at night. Some make some money. But it, it resonates to where our American League started. And it gets back to, John, your comment about, you know, what's the new, you know, relationship that our new youth and all, all of us want related to sports? And it's experience-based. It has to have more texture. It has to have a, a cross-section of humanity that's unique. And this does that. And it kind of refreshes, I think, our memory of, of what sports means to us. Like Lou talked about growing up, you know what it meant, what it means. I'm now America's going past that and sports is such a big part of us that is now professional at even a young age, let's say. But these are the reasons and the motivations for why I felt so strongly about sharing this experience and sharing, you know, this football game, this championship game with Americans because it's unique. It's very passion-based. I mean, Lou and I have been to a few games now and these guys do not stop cheering the fans. It's like a soccer game, the whole game. And they have their own unique American football chants and so they on. They bring so their own food. And they bring their own food. And it's very, I mean, you can imagine how good that stuff is. But that gives you my background a little bit, where I'm coming from, why I'm involved in this, and why it's been such a passion project for me. One thing I want to jump in, because uh, the young Americans who play over there, John, are just great. Um, that's, for instance, and this indication of talent, the quarterback – He's a wide receiver and quarterback for the Florence Guelphie. He was an all Ivy League quarterback at, uh, was it Dartmouth? And he's an Italian kid from. Uh, yeah, Jared, Jared Gerbino, great player. You know, and he's, so, and he's a damn good player. The kid for Parma, 
is the ex-quarterback for the University of Delaware. And that's a that's a good, you know, mid-sized football team. I got to see both of them play. They throw the ball like hell. They run. And then there's a lot of other good players. But one of the beauties for me is this, was meeting those young men. There's a kid from California. Yeah, this kid is built like, you know, bricks. And uh, we were at their first game. He plays for Florence at Varese. And after the game, his parents were on the field from California. And they were so proud of him. You know, you see these human stories of these guys, and it's really impressive. No, it's something that has um, definitely fascinated me about this whole initiative and uh, project, if you will, since you introduced it to us, Lou, because, you know, they've been playing football in these Italian professional leagues, I guess, since the 80s. There's a history here, and there's teams like you mentioned, you know, Florence and other cities where there's some history to it and uh, some real fans. But I love the idea. It's sort of twofold. First of all, like a lot of Italian leagues, you're allowed a certain amount of foreign players, right? There's a limit. I think in this case, it's four foreign foreign players on each team. But the majority of them are Italian players who are making their way through. You know, I, I always think back to the old kind of glory days of baseball and the early days of football, most players had to have off-season jobs because the salaries were not, you know, a hundred times the average American salary. They were maybe two times the average or three times, or, you know, uh, with the exception of kind of the Babe Ruths, they were, you know, pretty realistic compensation packages. So they, you know, worked uh, with cars or whatever it was, car salesmen or bowling alleys, uh, there's a lot of famous cases, but they lived in the same community as their fans. And I think the idea that here you're talking about people who really are of the community uh, representing it in this very unique American sport. And then you have done the second track, these American players who have the advantage of if you're Italian American, you know, you can become a dual citizen and you can really integrate into the system there. So it's a, a nice opportunity, not just for an athlete who wants to continue his journey, uh, if it might not be in the cards for him here in the United States or somewhere else, but also in the case of these Italian-Americans, someone who wants to discover more about their roots and, and their heritage and integrate them. So I, I always advocate with athletes and, you know, if they kind of run up against maybe what looks like the end of their rope, I say, look, you know, explore the environment around your sport in Italy, because you can play football there, you can play baseball there, you can play basketball there, you know, and you'll you get so much more out of it than perhaps you think you would because you're also able to reconnect to your heritage and uh, your ancestry. So there's so many beautiful stories going on here. I think um, you guys pointed out in one of our first conversations that the author, John Grisham, actually wrote a book about the a uh, year or so in the Italian league called Playing for Pizza because a lot of these guys are pizza makers or whatnot. So there's a lot of interesting personalities, I'm sure, that are going to be coming over here. And I would assume for a lot of these guys, it'll probably be the first time in the U.S., right? Oh, that's right. Yeah. You know, it'll be their first time and maybe, John, their only time, you know. And so to have that kind of backdrop of an American football championship as their experience and an American dream of stores for them is, is going to be special. And to have it in Ohio, you know, like we talked about where the game is born, is going to be something unique for them, something they'll, they'll cherish, you know, for the rest of their lives. One, one thing that I'm pretty pleased with her is the amount of local support we got for this thing. 
Yeah, that was my next question, actually. I wanted to kind of ask you guys how it's being received here and, and frankly, how it's being received in Italy, too. Well, the local support started off. Nick and I were talking. We said, what's our budget? He did a budget. How are we going to raise the money? This is not expected to be a profit-making enterprise, but we met with the chairman of the local communications newspaper cables company, and we talked to him for about three minutes. He thought it was a fantastic idea. He used to have an Italian girlfriend. He wanted to marry her, but that didn't work. He <laughs> loves everything Italian. He thought the idea of Toledo bringing international, that would be cool. We met with our mayor and county commissioners, and in five minutes, they were on board. So we did that, and people would start looking at us like, what are you doing? You know, because no one knew about the league. And we've got some great local sponsors, a company called Marco's Pizza, which was founded by an Italian who moved here in 65, a great friend of ours. It's now the fifth largest pizza franchise in the United States. Wow. And here's a guy who was born in Abruzzo in the town of Solmona, came over to the United States at the age of, of nine and, and really took a chance on opening his first store in you know kind of the outskirts of, of Toledo. And it's grown to over a thousand stores uh, internationally. And, and really, it, you know, is you know, one of the best pizzas you, you can get. And in fact, our our kids who are Italian, my wife, when we it's babysitter night, we get Marco's pizza. So, I mean, and you talked about the support and the interest uh, overseas as well. I mean, this is the 42nd Italian Bowl. It's the first time that it's being played outside of Italy. So that makes it pretty special. There was some, you know, in the beginning, they said, what are we doing? What, where is this going? And, and I think the support from that end has been tremendous, too, where the excitement, I think there was some nervousness, too, from the Italian players because, you know, comments I would get is, do you think our our level is going to be good enough for the Americans? And every American that I would take over, and I would, I'm partially this because I played in this league, but, you know, the Italian players are so humble and they don't realize how how talented they are in a lot of cases. Like you have Habakkuk Baldonado, who's now on an NFL team. You have kids that are getting, you know, scholarships. Uh, one of the Bereze kids is, has a Division II scholarship. The NFL Academy has six prospects in Italy right now. And so to hear that from them, say, are, do you think we're good enough? Are the, you know, will Americans? Like I said, of course they will. And everybody that we brought over, Lou and I, to watch the Italian Bowl last year to see the final, I think they were just really, really – it was a great game. at the yeah. level of play the ability of these guys to play and play well and so so that's been been great and one of the other things that's worth noting too is that there's a documentary filmmaker who started following uh one of the teams last year her name is Louisa Conlin and she was you know creating a, a docu-series on, on kind of what this experience is like telling even more of the story of like like you said that John Grisham started with the playing for pizza story and now kind of tracking that with these guys as they have this experience of trying to get to Toledo and to the Italian bowl here at the glass bowl. She's there now and she's following the Milano rhinos from the beginning to the end. And she's coming to Toledo for the final game. And she's going to produce this documentary on it. And she's hoping to pitch that to, to one of the major streamers. And you know, she, it was interesting. We were talking about being excited about this. You know, she's pretty much a New York kind of smooth, you know, nothing at all about sports. She's come to love sports now. And what she's identifying with is each of the people's stories. You know, because once you start to see this, hang with those guys a little bit, 
you know, it, it's not just typical football player. It's a person doing this for fun. Start your summer early with Media City Italia and a view to an island dei famosi. Which factions will form? How will the challenges go? And who will be the ultimate survivor? Catch a whole new crop of castaways on L'Isola dei Famosi, Monday evenings at 8.35 p.m. Eastern, 5.35 p.m. Pacific, with extended editions on weekday evenings. Media Say Italia is your ultimate destination for Italian entertainment. There's always something new and exciting, with your favorite reality staples coming back year after year. Call your local television provider and ask for Media Say Italia today. You know, you think about the kind of moment in time that we find, you know, I was saying earlier to Pat that uh, eight or nine of the top 10 most viewed live events are are sports nowadays. And, uh, you know, things like the Oscars that don't get as many viewers as they used to. Sports holds true. Uh, it's relatable. Uh, but I think also the beauty of it is now in a digital world, you know, I can go online and I can watch every game of one of these teams, you know, I can kind of pick and attach to it. And, you know, we had a conversation about soccer in Italy, less recording we did. And we talked about how much easier it is to follow Serie A and, you know, through the generations of kids who have watched the world cup and now they know the players and they could follow their team on all of these streaming platforms or online or whatever it is. So the opportunity for that content, for exposure, for that kind of content is uh, better than it's ever been. So, it's almost like the Italian version of the game now has the potential to find uh, a global audience if the quality is there. And it sounds like the quality is there. And, uh, you know, it's a time of year that people are uh, hungry for football if you're a football fanatic. And here's this product that you can really sink your teeth into. And, uh, and hopefully it grows their audience, not just in the Italian-American diaspora, but in other segments of the country, too. So it's a great opportunity for leagues like this to gain exposure and uh, a whole new fan base and my hope is that that's what's happening here in Toledo that you mentioned before you're going to be on the campus of the university there the stadium is probably a 30,000 seat stadium yeah what's the expectation around drawing a crowd for this live event yeah I mean I I think it's it's certainly an unknown because we haven't seen where this game has been played outside of Italy but Generally, Italian bowls in Italy and the one we were able to see last year there, they've gotten anywhere from 5,000 spectators at, at a, uh, an Italian bowl up to 12,000, I think is, is one of the highest ones they've had. Back in the 80s when uh, Johnny Versace owned a team and, and others, I know that they were in the, the 15,000 range and things like that. So um, but that's before my time, even though my, <laughs> hair, even though my hairline might say different. Uh, <laughs> still a little before my time. But I think... What we want to do is at least match what they're what they're doing. Give them, you know, anything above five, ten thousand um, is going to be a great atmosphere. There's a Toledo night market, which is a vendor related, almost like an Italian mercatino. That's going to take place right after the game. We have a, a world-renowned opera singer named Marion Battistelli, who's going to sing both uh, national anthems. She's sung at La Scala. She's one of the rising stars in the opera world as a soprano. So she's going to sing both of the uh, national anthems, the Italian American. When she was in uh, high school, she played football. And she was an American football player. She played in the women's league, but then also she's going to sing a couple, you know, songs at halftime, an Italian song and an American song, uh, kind of staying with the the July Fourth 
theme because that night in Toledo, it's really going to be a busy night in Toledo. That night, there's a heavyweight boxing match um, championship, heavyweight boxing championship match in Toledo. And then the fireworks show will be uh, later that evening, Saturday night as well. So it's going to be a busy day. Now, to get to Patrick's uh, comment about what, what should you see in Toledo, I mean, I got to be, so I was born in Lansing, Michigan, moved to Toledo after I started working in the real estate industry here. But let me be a cheerleader for Toledo for two seconds for Patrick. So art museum, I'm not an art expert. I'm just going to tell you it's one of the best art museums in the country. I'll let Lou go into details on that. And we have a zoo that's rated in the top five every year. It was number one, I think, three, four years ago. Uh, I live in a zoo in New Jersey, so I don't need to go <laughs> see some <laughs> zoo somewhere else. So, so your palette might be more for the art then, which I... I, I just like local color. I want to have the total Toledo experience. Well, we'll take you to where Klinger's favorite restaurant was. Paco's. Remember, Klinger talked about Tony Paco's. It's yeah. Hungarian, but what are you going to do? That's right. Oh wow! So that that's a real place. That's oh, a real sorry. place. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you go there, the family had a tradition of somebody running for president, like Walter Mondale. Everybody would go there. They'd sign a hot dog bun and they would seal them on the wall. So you've got a whole series of walls full of signed hot dog buns. There's a great some great jazz clubs. There's a great bar scene, smaller but good. And some good restaurants, and there's a lot. Of, you got you got the mud ends. Now they're not playing that weekend, but for a two day period, you you if you come, I'll make sure you. There's no, I trust in God and a little Tulsa. There, there's no one I worry. I have nothing to worry about. You showed <laughs> Gerard what Ohio really is. Yeah, you humbled him. <laughs> you and that's why I am. That's why I'm. I was excited to come before to see the rest of Ohio. But I know, Lou, with you, we're going to get first-class treatment. Yeah, but you you enjoyed Cleveland, didn't you guys? Go I love Cleveland. Cleveland is oh, the yeah. last city in the Northeast. It's as, it's as far west as the Northeast goes. Yeah. And Youngstown should belong to Pennsylvania, if you redrew the maps. Because <laughs> Youngstown is Pennsylvania. I mean, you will, I, mean that's, I don't want to offend the Cafaros or Youngstown people, but in a swap of territories, like, you, like Pittsburgh should get part of West Virginia. <laughs> I mean, American borders, the geography doesn't always match the culture. You know, and I, hey, listen, you're, and we're laughing at this, but you're exactly correct. If you look at the cultural, you know, is Pittsburgh more like northern West Virginia or Harrisburg? No, it's like northern West Virginia. Yeah. And Youngstown is part of that. That is really correct. Yeah. And I didn't realize Toledo was so close to Detroit. Yeah, we're 45 minutes. Yeah. And, and, you know, at Pat's point, he and I share a love for local culture, even not just Italian-American culture. We like to go to, you know, old restaurants, old businesses, quirky museums. And, you know, it's, it's it's culture and that's what we love. But I think for the audience out there, what I'd like to convey out of this is, look, you know, we live this Italian-American life and this is a, you know, high up on the list opportunity to see something uniquely Italian-American. But for those of you who may not have plans for the 4th of July weekend and, you know, July 1st is the Italian ball, no better place to, you know, enjoy the 4th of July weekend. So many times I find people like uh, scrambling for something to do. And uh, you well, know, that's whatever. a real American holiday. We should celebrate the yeah. United States. Yeah, it's nice, you know, you know? as compared it's to a- like because it, someone someone asked me. I don't know if it was I think it was from Columbus. I'm not making this up about if New York celebrated 4th of July, I guess it's a big it's a big holiday in Columbus. And I think in other parts of America, 4th of July is better. I mean, New York, the New York metro area, we had 
certain Fourth of Julys that were big. Yeah. You know, like the Statue of Liberty in 1986 when that turned 100 in Ellis Island. But a lot of people clear out of here in those months. Yeah, they go to the beach. They go. To- I'm going. I'll go to Ohio. I don't know where I'm going to be before. I don't know where I'm going to be after. <laughs> but God willing, July 4th, I'll be in Toledo. I, I have to say, I, I agree with you. I like the Midwest, and uh, I've always wanted to kind of have a 4th of July in a different part of America. One year, Nicole and I were down south. We were in Columbus, Georgia. And it was really great. I will pay a king's ransom. If you can get Nicole July 4th to Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> if I can get Nicole to go anywhere, it's a big accomplishment. Nicole acts like it's John and I's Don Quixote moments when we go to this place. Like, all right, John, go. Like, you know, yeah. it's like, get the man out of the house. She's not tripping over herself to get on the plane. No, no. There are plenty of wives and girlfriends who, you know, they, they love to be a part of these kind of trips and stuff. I don't have one of them. And uh, yeah, you, you never heard from Nicole. No, Why no. was I left out? No. Why didn't no. you ask me? No, you got many problems, Johnny boy. That's not one of them. That's not one of them. But I, I do think that it's a great destination for uh, for those out there in the audience who want to enjoy a unique Fourth of July weekend in a great little American city. And uh, if you're a football fan, but John, we we've got a good website. It's has almost everything on it. It's called Italian Bowl USA, one word dot com, and everything's available. Your T-shirt, other shirts, tickets, a lot of local information, and we have a. Uh, rapid response organization so if anybody wants to call me about it <laughs> that's right you can get right to lou or you get to nick it would make my day if i was so busy i started regretting the fact i said this but uh, yeah you know that'd be a great problem to have and i i, I we're going to link italian bull usa website on our show page and uh we're going to be promoting it on our social media uh leading up to the weekend and really want to encourage people if you're curious and you feel like you have a trip in you it's a great opportunity and it would be really cool if we could get some representation from other communities within the italian american ecosystem to come out and be a part of what's going to be a really unique and interesting event and uh you know if you're a football fan it's going to be good football if you're into your heritage it's going to be a whole new version of and side of italy that you're going to get to see and if you're just somebody who wants an excuse for a unique fourth of july Toledo, Ohio, it sounds like a great place to do it. So I highly encourage everybody to. What's Toledo's song? Do they have a song? <laughs> yeah. What's they your do? Like, anthem? Yeah, you yeah, say? Yeah, there might be one, but you don't want to hear no, me we're sing not it. Sing I don't it's know about that. Wow. Yeah, see, there we go. Well, at least we know it's there, John. Yeah, that's right. You can Maybe when the... we go out there, they'll teach us. I can bring the kazoo. <laughs> yeah, I can you... accompany it on my that's kazoo. Right. You could do it on the kazoo. Yeah, yeah. on the kazoo. That's your, Pat's been working really hard on his kazoo uh, as of late. and But now we have kazoo issues because our Zoom uh, microphones can't pick up my kazoo. Yeah, it's really wild. It's been It's very disheartening, John. Yeah, we got to really record it like, in, you know, in a soundproof. They keep playing the same kazoo music. It's just not there. Because <laughs> I've improved on the kazoo, and I can't show off that talent because you want to use canned kazoo, kazoo music. Maybe you need a CD. You should do like football fight songs on the gazoo. We could we could donate it next year for Super Bowl. Sure. I, I'd love to. I'll go out there. Maybe we'll do a concert. They have all these jazz clubs. I can go up there and play the gazoo. A lot of football teams used to have really good rally songs. I mean, to me, the Pittsburgh Steelers are, you know, they use the Pennsylvania polka beat, but it's hard to beat that. That's a great, uh, that gets you in the mood for football. If you're still listening after all of this, you deserve a medal. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how long your road trip is, boys and girls, but if you still got us <laughs> tuned on, 
It's got to be pretty long. <laughs> That's a, quite a commute. Well, I hope if you've listened this far, which I think many of you have, uh, you will make a point to visit the website, Italian You listen USA. this far, when I do my gazoo solo, my, what do I call that? My first premiere gazoo yeah. solo? Yeah. When we find the jazz club in Toledo for me to do my first jazz gazoo solo, We'll get one of our. We have any. Maybe we could bring Vanessa Rachi. We could have someone sing along. I could. <laughs> I could play the gazoo, and then she could sing. We'll put a discount code at the end of every episode. So if you made it through the end, you get to keep the disc. And speaking of discount codes, it's certainly a great way to get to who's listening to the end of the episodes. And uh, if we're going to make available some discount for your gazoo concerts, we certainly should make one available for the Super Bowl. I know I've talked to Lou and Nick about doing that, and uh, I don't know if we have a discount code for our audience today, but I think we're going to have one in the coming days, right? Is that correct? Yeah, and in fact, I think I, I saw that Jack from Aspire had, had put that together, so I think we just need to forward that on to John and your team. We'll do that. Oh, great. So we'll make it available uh, on the episode show page and uh, make it available to everybody out there through social media. We really believe in what these guys are doing. Obviously, Lou's an old friend and Nick's a new one, and uh, hopefully... You out there in the audience are equally excited about the prospect of coming out to see some Italian-American football in a great American city. And uh, if you are, we look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. If you want your life to be great. See that you're born an Italiano and your life will be great. See that you're born an Italiano.